We're in the middle of a sermon series on our annual spiritual. You know, everybody has an annual physical, or at least we know we should have an annual physical once a year. But uh, a lot of people never take an annual spiritual. We never take a, a consensus of how we're doing spiritually in our life. So we're having this series, and we've been looking at the eye, having an eye exam. We looked at a heart exam. Last week, we looked at our tongue and, and the words that we say. We had the tongue exam. Today, we have the, our ear exam. How, how well are we listening to God, and how well do we listen to the people of our lives? So today is all about listening. And we have two passages of Scripture that are terrific. They are really distilled wisdom. One is from James, and James was the half-brother of Jesus, and uh, he is the, was the bishop of the early church in Jerusalem. And the words of James are going to come up on the screen, and they're really profound words from James, who spent a lot of time with Jesus as his half-brother. But these words are like distilled wisdom about how to listen and to hear God and other people. Listen to these words from James 1. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls." But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, not being hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. And then our second scripture is the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. At the, right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, these words are tucked away, and they're very profound about listening and hearing. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we didn't come to hear a human voice or a human word or a human opinion. We came to hear you and your word alone. So to that end, O oh God, I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching. And let everyone who comes hears a word that is tailor-made for where they are right now so that every single one of us might take the next step on our journey of faith with you. We know we will, O oh God, for we pray with anticipation, and we pray in the strong name of Jesus, the risen and the reigning Christ, and may all God's people say, amen. Jesus said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, hears and does them, or acts on them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on rock. Let anyone who has ears to hear, let him or her hear. For the past two weeks, we've been watching the Olympic Games, at least many of us have. The world's been consumed with all these gold medal winners around the world. We've had gold medal winners in the United States like Katie Ledecky, the brilliant swimmer who swam the 800 and the 1600 meters. She was terrific and got two gold medals. We've been watching Allison Felix who got the 11th medal of her career, the most decorated medal winner in the history of track and field, even more than the great Carl Lewis. She won in the 4 by 400 relay the other day, got gold medal there. And we've been watching Suni Lee that young gymnast who performed so brilliantly and she was able to win a gold medal. And the U.S. men's basketball team and the U.S. women's basketball team, these great gold medal winners. But what I love most about the gold medal winners were all the watch parties they would show with people like in a small town in Alaska when a young woman named Lydia Jacobs won a gold medal, her high school class in this little town in Alaska that didn't have a 50-meter pool, there's only one 50-meter pool in the whole state of Alaska, but these high school kids were there and they were cheering and jumping, literally jumping up and down and yelling and screaming because their friend, their classmate won the gold medal. All this emphasis on gold medals has caused me to wonder this week. I wonder if God could award gold medals. What kind of criteria would God use to determine who is a gold medal winner? How would God figure that out? I believe God would not award gold medals. I believe God would say to us, friends, gold medals, life's most important gold medals, are not awarded, they're not won, they're experienced in relationships. In the significant relationships of our life, we experience God's most precious gold medals. Now, I've got to admit to you that this past week was not an easy week for me. One of my dearest friends in all the world died, a man I mentioned in a sermon about four or five weeks ago named Keith Brown. He was my mentor. He was the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and I went there right out of Princeton Seminary with my wife, Suzanne, and our two children were born there, Ryan and Toby, and uh, Keith was my boss, but he was my mentor. I learned how to be a minister. I learned how to be a pastor by watching Keith Brown in action. It'd be interesting to ask you, who was your mentor? Who's been somebody who impacted you the way Keith impacted me? But he died this past Tuesday, and that was a blow to me when my, when my mentor died. And I thought about all the things he taught me. For example, one of the things Keith taught me was, he would always say to me, Tom, you know, when you get to heaven, when you die and go to heaven, Jesus Christ is not going to ask you, well, how big were the churches you served? Or how many members did you bring into those churches? He's not going to ask you how successful were the programs. Instead, he's going to say, well, how's Suzanne? How, how well did you take care of her? How well did you take care of Ryan and Toby and the, your grandchildren and their, their wives? And how, how well did you take care of the people that I entrusted into your care? And he's not going to be impressed if you say, well, Lord, you know, I did take in 800 new members there in New York City one time. And he's not going to be impressed with that. What he wants to know is how well did you take care of Suzanne? How well did you take care of Ryan and Toby and Holly and Katie and your seven grandchildren? Because life's most important gold medals are experienced in relationships. Keith Brown taught me that God's gold medal winners are gold medal husbands and wives. 
gold medal fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers. God's gold medal winners are gold medal neighbors and friends. Those who go the second and a third mile for somebody who's near them and somebody who really takes care of people around them. So God's gold medal winners, I think, are the people who care well for the people in their neighborhood, their friendships, who are with them in, in the area where they live. So how do we get God's gold medal? How would we do it if we wanted to get the gold medal from God? The answer may surprise you. God's gold medals are won, are experienced with our ears. Now let me reiterate. Jesus often said, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Jesus was always saying, let anyone who has ears to hear, let him or her hear. It's interesting in the Bible the word for hearing and the word for doing are part of the same word. Adire is the word for hearing. It literally means when sound waves come and come into your ear and then into the brain, you can interpret them and receive them. Adire. But there's another word for doing or obedience, obedire. In other words, to obey or do something, you've got to first hear it and process it. And for Jesus, hearing was more than just taking in sound. It was listening. It was paying attention. How many times are you with somebody who's not really with you? Gee, for Jesus, paying attention and listening to somebody, not thinking of what you're going to say when they're speaking, but thinking of what they're saying... For Jesus, that was a virtue. It was hearing. It was listening. It was paying attention. It was doing. All rolled into one thing. And when Jesus was talking about that, what he was saying is, those who listen and hear and pay attention and do have a strong foundation of their life. The winds can blow and the rains can fall and the floods can come and beat on that house, but it will not fall because it's founded on rock. In other words, if you want to live an enriching life that can withstand storms, and it's interesting here in this little parable Jesus tells in Matthew 7, both the wise person and the foolish person who built houses and built on foundations, they both encounter storms. So Jesus is not saying, if you listen to me and obey what I tell you, you're going to have a problem-free life. He's not saying that. He's saying, if you hear my word and do it, you will have a good, solid foundation so that when the storms of life come, and they inevitably will, many in this congregation today know what it's like to have a loss, a death of a loved one. I experienced the death of a dear friend, my mentor, this past week. There's no problem-free life. But the thing what Jesus is saying is you'll have a great foundation if you hear these words of mine and do them. So our ear is the key to a meaningful life. As we take this ear exam today, there are three questions God wants us to reflect on. Number one, question number one, are we putting ourselves in a position where we can hear God? Question number two, are we putting ourselves in a position where we can hear the sound of our own soul, our own voice? And thirdly, are we putting ourselves in a position where we can hear the voices of the significant people of our life? When I ask you, are you putting yourself in a position to hear God, it'd be interesting to have a conversation about how do we know whether or not we're hearing the voice of God? How do you go about hearing God's voice? 
You know, at the beginning of a symphony, have you ever been to a stage play in New York City or Los Angeles? You go to a play or you go to a symphony orchestra. At the beginning of the show, whatever the symphony or the stage play is, the conductor comes out on the stage and everybody applauds and, and all the musicians nod to the conductor. But then the conductor does this. He stands there, raises his baton, and he points either to the oboe or the first violinist. And they sound typically an A note. And everybody in the orchestra does what? They all tune their instruments and they get in tune with the oboe or the violin because the orchestra conductor knows if I do not have an orchestra that is in tune with me, in tune with the oboe or the violin and with one another, we're not going to be able to play this piece as we were meant to be played. So we've got to be in tune, in harmony with one another. That's the key. And the orchestra conductor knows we've all got to be in tune with one another. Is there anybody hearing this message today? who's got an area of your life where you're not in tune? Has anybody ever said, you know, I'm just not myself right now. I don't know what's wrong with me. Or, you know, I just can't get it together. <laughs> or, I don't know what's wrong with me. I I'm not myself right now. Have you ever said that? Well, I think part of the problem is maybe we're not in tune with a conductor, so we're not in tune with the other instruments in the orchestra around us. Or have you ever said, my husband and I just, just aren't in sync right now? We, there's something wrong in our relationship. We're not in sync. Or maybe you're not in sync with a neighbor or a family member or a friend, and, and you don't know exactly what's wrong. I think maybe the problem is we're not in sync with a conductor so that all the instruments are not playing in harmony in our life. The Wall Street Journal had a tremendous article about this very thing almost two weeks ago. On a Tuesday, the Wall Street Journal article was saying that there's such anger underneath the surface in people's lives that people were so uh, up, upset over COVID and being isolated from one another. Then we got back together and restaurants started to open up and, and things started to open once again. You could see people without masks and it was wonderful. But then now this Delta variant came and there were these breakthroughs. So even people who got the vaccine were starting to get sick or children who hadn't gotten the vaccine were starting to get sick. And, and so the Delta variant is spreading. And so there's this anger at life and anger at God, and anger at COVID. And the article was talking about how on airplanes now, flight attendants are always worried that there's going to be a fight breakout among the passengers on the plane or with them, that people are going to be yelling at them or screaming at them or starting a fight. And then the, the article said something that kind of surprised me, that even in churches, there's a lot of anger, and people are screaming and yelling at one another and at the pastor, and a lot of pastors are saying, gosh, we don't want to yell back at the people, but they're mad at us, and they're leaving the church because they're upset we didn't open sooner, or we have too many restrictions with masks, and they're mad at us, and the pastors are really getting, getting overloaded, and I don't really think this issue is covid I don't really think the issue is isolation. I don't really think the issue is anger at life or at God. I, I think the issue may be we're just not in tune with a conductor. So how do we get the instrument of our life in tune with a conductor of the symphony? I believe it's actually quite simple, but it takes habitual action. It takes daily action to do it. I've told you before that... I take five minutes a day to talk to God and five minutes to listen to God. 
In the five minutes I talk to God, and it often goes beyond five minutes, I tell God my issues, my challenges, all the things I'm worried about, and, and what I'm talking about our family, and San Marino Church, and all the things I want God to help me with. But then I spend five minutes listening to God. And in that listening, I try to get away from distractions. I try to get quiet and silent if I can. I try to get all the distractions out of my mind. I put my phone away, put my phone on, not on vibrate. I put it, put, turn it completely off. I try to take five minutes just to listen. And I'm not listening for an audible voice or a Tom tool, go to San Marino Church. I'm not listening to that. I'm not thinking that that's going to happen. I'm thinking that it may be a nudge or it may get a word or a phrase but I'm looking for something that God might give me a creative idea, like how to care for my friend Keith Brown, who was dying. I told you several weeks ago, God gave me a creative idea how to do that. But the other thing I do is I take five more minutes to read one chapter of the Bible a day. Now, I know this is starting to add up, five minutes to talk to God, five minutes to listen to God, five minutes to read a chapter of the Bible a day. But I tell you, it's the way for me to get in tune, in harmony with the conductor of the universe. And there's something about reading scripture every day. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to start, and I'm going to read John chapter 1. And Tuesday, I'm going to read John chapter 2. And Wednesday, I'm going to read John chapter 3. I would challenge you and maybe invite you to join me. You don't have to do it. Nobody's going to be checking you off, although I may ask you in a few weeks, did you do it? But I hope you'll do it because I tell you what's going to happen. Those words are going to start to be in your mind during the day. You're going to start to think about them. I start to think about them. So in John, for example, there's a lot of phrases like this, love one another as I have loved you. And that sticks with me. So when I'm driving my automobile and some guy cuts me off and I'm, I'm tempted to say, hey, you son of a gun, I'm tempted to say that. I will be thinking about, gosh, I'm supposed to love that guy, but maybe I won't speak quite as harshly to him. But see, those words of love will be infecting my brain and mind, and I'll start to hear the voice of God instead of my own voice. Are you putting yourselves in a position to hear the voice of God? How do you do it? And I also find when I pray and I listen to God and I read one chapter of the Bible a day, here's what I find. I'm more attentive to the people around me, and to what I'm doing, and to nature, and the beauty. You know, walking from the car into San Marino Church, it's glorious. These flowers, this courtyard, I start to notice things. There was a time in my life when I didn't notice anything. I was so preoccupied with hurry sickness and busyness. I didn't notice but now I'm starting to notice the, the vegetation and the plant life and the buildings. These, the architecture of these buildings is exquisite in San Marino. But I start to notice that anyway, I pay attention to God, putting myself in a position to start to hear the voice of God. Are you putting yourself in such a position? Second question God would ask us on this hearing exam is, are we putting ourselves in a position where we can hear our own soul, the sound of our own soul, the sound of our own voice? In the last two weeks, while many of us have been watching the Olympic Games, there was a little article on the news media that I noted and with interest that the life expectancy in the United States of America went down by 18 months. Did you notice that article? And the article said it's, it's now 77 years is the kind of the lifespan of, of, of many people, men and women. But the lifespan went down 18 months to two years. And I've started to wonder, why would people die prematurely 
And I would think, well, people die prematurely because of they don't take care of themselves, they don't exercise, uh, they have obesity or issues with eating or, or drugs or alcohol abuse or smoking, but it's not any of those. What I learned in my research is the number one reason people die early is loneliness. People are lonely, and they often get sick because they're lonely. It's a very interesting phenomenon. In England, in January of 2018, just three years ago, they did a survey of people, and they asked people, how often are you always, uh, are you always or often lonely? 9% of all the people in England said, I'm often or always lonely. 9%. But here's what really bothered Theresa May, who was prime minister at that time. Here's what bothered her. They asked 200,000 people above, over the age of 65 the question, how many conversations have you had in the past month with a family member or a friend or a neighbor? And 200,000 people said zero. So there were a lot more people than 200,000 who took that survey. So they asked the question again. They said, people must have misunderstood it. So they said, we didn't say how many meaningful conversations have you had, just how many conversations have you had with a neighbor, a family member, and a friend. And 200,000 people again over the age of 65 said zero. So Theresa May realized we got a problem here in, in Great Britain, and she hired Tracy Crouch to be a minister of loneliness to try to help this loneliness problem in Great Britain. Well, now since she was voted out and Boris Johnson's in, Boris Johnson's hired two more ministers of loneliness. But here's the thing. Three ministers of loneliness aren't going to help the problem. Everybody's got to be a minister of loneliness. Everybody's got to listen to each other. And we got to hear each other. we got to hear our own voice, our own loneliness. But here's the statistic about the United States of America that blew my mind. It's not 9% in the United States of America, people who feel always or often lonely. It's 36% of all the people in America feel always or often lonely. 51% of young mothers are always or often lonely. And 61% of young adults under the age of 25 are always or often lonely. Friends, we got a loneliness issue here in our world, in our nation. But we need people who can hear one another and hear not just the words, but really listen, pay attention, really starting to hear people's lives so that we can get in touch with ourselves. So the key there is getting honest with God. The reason why I want to spend five minutes listening to God, five minutes talking to God, five minutes with the scripture is because we've got voices in our head, many people do, some in this congregation do, that are saying negative things to us about ourselves. You're no good or you don't measure up, or you're not who you're supposed to be. You weren't a gold medal winner, a silver medal winner, a bronze medal winner, so you don't count. You weren't on the medal stand. God says to us, you are a person of worth and dignity. You're a great person. I love you as you are. But God never leaves us there. God is always calling us to be something more and to tell us how much God loves us. But the key is, are we, are we listening to ourselves and are we able to then listen to the people of our lives and pay attention to them? I'm thinking about this young woman, Simone Biles. Did you read about her in the last couple of weeks? And she, she was not only the favorite to win gold medals, but they were calling her not just the greatest gymnast of this generation, not just the greatest gy woman's gymnast that there ever was. They're calling her G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. They were comparing her to Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods and Tom Brady and all these great athletes. They were comparing her to the greatest people of all time, maybe the greatest athlete of all time. 
And all this was really a lot for this young woman. But also, there was other things going on with her when she made that first jump in the Olympic Games. Instead of doing a two-and-a-half rotation, she realized in midair she wasn't going to make it. So instead of landing a funny way, she landed after a rotation and a half, and she cut the two-and-a-half rotation and went with a one-and-a-half. And when she landed, she stumbled, and everybody was shocked because she never seemed to stumble. She was perfection personified. But here's the interesting thing about Simone Biles. She admitted, there's something wrong with me. I'm not in sync with myself. My body and my mind are not coming together. And then she realized, you know, if she's in the middle of a two and a half somersault with a twist and then coming down, and she doesn't land correctly, she could break her neck. Or she could have a, a life-threatening injury. And she decided, I'm going to just pull back from the games. And there was a flood of affirmation and sadly, a flood of criticism. She got a lot of criticism for being a quitter, for not being able to stand the heat, for if you don't want to stand the heat, then get out of the kitchen. They were really getting mad at Simone Biles. But many didn't know, I didn't realize until a couple of the days ago that during the past year, you know, she had to testify in a case against some of the people who were the, the trainers for the US Olympic squad who had abused them sexually. And, harass them sexually, and she had to testify in that case. One of the dearest people in a fa her family died not long ago. One of the members of her family was on trial for a major crime for which they were acquitted, but she had to testify in that trial. And then she's called the greatest of all time, and she's got all this pressure on her. And what I'm saying, suggesting is life is a pressure cooker, and we are often so hard on ourselves, or we've got some message of somebody who was hard on ourselves, if we could only listen to what God is saying about us, I love you, you're my child, I love you, I'm with you, I want you to be and do your best, but I also want you to take care of yourself, then we'll be able to be ministers of loneliness to one another. I tell you the truth, Simone Biles may become more well-known for the fact that she got dropped out of some of those Olympic Games than the fact she entered. She got a bronze medal. But I believe in God's eyes, she's a gold medal winner because she was honest with herself and honest with God about what she could do and what she couldn't do. And I think she's going to be a tremendous role model for young women and young men and people all over the country who are su suggesting to them, you need to take care of yourself. That's the kind of gold medal winner God's looking for. And the final question I'd ask is, not only are we putting ourselves in a position to hear God and ourselves, but are we putting ourselves in a position to hear the significant people of our life? Do you know what I mean when I ask this question? Have you ever had somebody who was with you when they were with you? And have you ever had somebody who was not with you when they were with you? Oh, they were with you physically, but they just weren't with you. I mean, they weren't really paying attention. They really weren't listening. Do you know how good it feels when somebody gives you their undivided attention, looks you in the eye and holds your hand or just looks at you face, eyeball to eyeball and really wants to know you? Paul Tournier says the dialogues between people in our world today, this very famous Swiss psychiatrist, is like dialogues of the deaf. We're not listening to each other. We're not present with each other. We're not paying attention to each other. You've seen people in restaurants when the whole family is at the table and they're all on their phones. You wonder why did they go out in the first place? But, but they're not attending to one another. The gold medal winners in God's eyes are the people who take care of the significant people of our life. 
James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So often we overreact to the people of our lives because we don't listen to them. We give them a priceless gift if we will pay attention. Matt started to pay attention to his mother. Matt's in his late 30s. He's married. He's got several children. He's busy. He's in a hurry. He's got a big job in commercial real estate. He's busy, busy, busy. But he kind of was worried about his mother. His mother wasn't ill, but she was in her 70s, and she's young and vital and, and doing a lot of good things in the community and the world. It's nothing like that. It's not an illness. It's just he kind of felt his mom was a little bit lonely. That maybe his mom was dealing with some transitions in her life. And so for Christmas one year, instead of buying a book or buying jewelry or buying her a piece of clothing or a scarf, he and his wife, instead of getting her a physical, tangible gift, he wrote her a note. Dear mom, for Christmas this year, I'm going to give you the most precious thing I can give you, time. I'm going to give you one hour a month of my undivided attention. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pick you up at 4 o'clock one Friday every month. And for an hour or maybe 90 minutes, we will go to a coffee shop or a place where you can get a glass of wine and sit and talk. And I just want us to talk for an hour and 90 minutes. I have no agenda. I don't need any money. I don't, I don't want to borrow money from you and Dad. I don't, I don't want any of that. I just want to be with you. And I talked to Matt's mother, and she told me, Tom, this was the most phenomenal gift I've ever been given in my life. Now, that may be an exaggeration, but she said, it was just wonderful that my son just wanted to be with me, and when he was with me, he was with me. It was an amazing gift. I wonder if there's somebody in your life and mine who needs us to be with them. What if you had a date with your spouse and listen to them, or a date with each of your children and listen to them or played with them, or a date with your parents, or a date with your grandchildren, or a date with a neighbor or a friend, or, or somebody maybe you've drifted away from, or maybe your sister or brother who lives far away, but you could Zoom with them and just have an hour and have coffee together or wine over the, over the Zoom. Is there somebody to whom you need to give your undivided attention? God's gold medal winners are the people who take care of the significant people of our life. I just close with this thought that I was preaching the sermon here uh, five weeks ago, and I mentioned that I wanted to issue this challenge like I did today, five minutes of talking to God, five minutes to listen to God, and, and Barbara was here, and she wanted to do it. So she said, I went home the next day to Monte Vista Grove where I live, and I decided I'd take five minutes to talk to God, and I did. I had a lot to talk to God about. My husband had died in the past year, and, and she was married to one of the great Presbyterian ministers, Chuck Hammond, and, uh, who was moderator of our General Assembly, and she was talking to God about her grief and all those things and, and her concerns about family and other things. And then she said, I decided to spend the five minutes listening to God. And she said, I, I must confess, I hadn't done much of that. So she said, I did a lot of talking to God over the years, but not a lot of listening. When I listened, I didn't hear anything at first. I didn't hear a big sound. But all of a sudden, I heard the word grief. And I thought, I wonder what God's telling me about grief. And she realized, I'm dealing with grief. And people at Monte Vista Grove Homes are dealing with grief. Maybe we could start a grief group. 
And so she wrote to some of the people at Monte Vista Grove, and they loved the idea, and they responded positively to us, and the chaplain responded positively to us. And there probably, there may become a grief group, maybe it'll be called Good Grief, who knows, out of this process, that could come, so that out of this tragedies of people having losses, they could help one another in the same way that they were helped themselves. But here's the thing. Remember what Jesus said? She heard what God said, and she put it into action. She heard grief, and she did something about it. She acted on it. When you hear a nudge from God, just, just feel a little nudge, do you act on it? Do you do the thing you think God is asking you to do? Because he who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise person who builds their house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. People whose lives are founded on the rock, who hear God's word and do it, who listen to the people of their lives and are attentive to them are God's gold medal winners. Let all of us who have ears to hear, let us hear.